0: Thank you. As the, band, I mean, as the choir begins to, to make their way down uh, into the congregation, we will uh, just begin to start thinking about what it is that we are talking about uh, in this series. Uh, we have been looking um, for the last couple of weeks at some unique aspects of fasting and I know how y'all are all so excited about this uh, to continue to look at, at ways uh, of fasting both in food and in other aspects uh, of our lives. The idea is for us to to think about um, the excess that exists in our life to encourage us to think about how we can grow as followers of Jesus Christ. And so that's really the goal in every week of this series is to compare the way that the world tells us we should live versus the way that Christ calls us to live. So we're looking at biblical stories, biblical scripture uh, that encourages us to think about it in particular ways. But we're also kind of merging uh, the Bible with a book that was written by Jen Hatmaker many years ago. It's called An Experimental Mutiny Against Excess. Uh, and its uh, desire is to give you certain areas of your life. Now, her and her family embark on seven months that is crazy, radical transformation, and I'm not trying to discourage you from doing it. I just want you to know it's crazy, radical transformation that would be probably really worthwhile to do it, uh, but but that's not necessarily what we're doing. We're just taking every chapter And then trying to use that as a way to gauge and and guide us as we just think about different aspects of our lives. And so we'll come back to this book later in the message. But just wanted you to realize kind of where we're we're merging the two concepts together. Uh, If you do have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. We're going to be looking at one of the strangest stories possibly that Jesus teaches us uh, and has created quite a bit of difficulty uh, in the life of the church uh, for many, many years. Uh, Luke chapter 16, Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start in verse 1. Luke 16, verse 1. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain rich man heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? "'Give me a report of your administration "'because you can no longer serve as my manager.' "'The household manager said to himself, "'What will I do now that my master "'is firing me as his manager? "'I'm not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. "'I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed "'from my management position, "'people will welcome me into their houses.' "'One by one, the manager sent for each person "'who owed his master money. "'He said to the first, "'How much do you owe my master?' He said 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, how much do you owe? He said 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of God for the people of God. We often hear that passage. It's often preached. I've probably preached it. You cannot serve God and wealth. But we kind of forget about the context of what that passage comes to us in. This is the parable of... Of the unjust steward that we read in Luke 16, and it's regarded as probably one of the hardest parables. Uh, the churches struggle with it because the nature of the difficulty is that the man acts unrighteously and yet is praised. And not only is praised by the boss, but is lifted up by Jesus as an example for those of us who follow to follow. How do we deal with this? Now what we have to realize is that the parable is told in a section of Luke's gospel that really is kind of unique to Luke. So you have the tax collectors and you have the sinners who are all kind of listening to Jesus and they're beginning to to listen to him and follow him and the Pharisees are somewhat upset. This is a, a threat to them and they struggle with this. And so Jesus in chapter 15, begins to say to them, okay, wait a minute, you've, you've got to have some concern for those who are lost. So he tells the story of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the prodigal son. And he ends the prodigal son, if you know much about God, Luke's gospel, he ends the prodigal son with this question that kind of hangs there, which is, will the older brother actually celebrate or will he not? And then as kind of an answer to that, we get this passage of the unjust steward this guy has a manager he gets a bad report about the manager so he calls him in and tries to hold him accountable the the manager knows he's guilty he knows hey this this gig is up and I got to figure out some way to try to to get in a situation he says I know I'm not strong enough to go and do physical labor I'm not going to beg my way out of this I got to come up with some solution that's going to get me past my problem and so he gets all of the people that, the, that owe the, the owner money, gets them together, and he begins to one by one renegotiate and come up with a figure that is more favorable for them, and he kind of gets praise for this. And the parable ends with the master commending him because he realizes how clever this is. And so he praises him. And in this story, Jesus uses this as a way to kind of help us See what we are supposed to do. Now, some interpreters, what they have said, scholars would argue, is that the steward doesn't actually steal from the manager, I mean from the owner. What he basically does is, the scholars would say, is that he uh, takes away his commission And that he removes his commission from what they owe. And then others will say that he is trying to align with the passages in Deuteronomy. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 23, it talks about you're not able to charge people interest. And so what he's doing is he's taking the loan and he's removing the interest in order to to be in alignment with Deuteronomy 23. And so really what he's doing, they would say, is that he's doing something that's good. He's doing something that's righteous. And so he deserves to be praised, not only by the boss, but he also deserves to be praised by Jesus. And that would all sound really good, except the scriptures call him dishonest. Uh, And so for me, the scriptures don't say he's a, a righteous steward. They don't say that he's a repentant steward. They don't say that he's a prodigal steward. The scripture says he's dishonest, that he's unjust. And Deuteronomy 23 doesn't seem to really apply to me because if you go back and read Deuteronomy 23, it's talking about um, loans that you give to people who are in poverty. A thousand bushels of wheat, 900 gallons of olive oil. Doesn't sound poverty to me. Uh, It sounds as if they're capitalist uh, and they're giving this is a capitalist who's giving uh, seed money to somebody who is running a business and they're trying to pay back part of their loan I think another way to think about it too is Jesus in his parables he always ends his parables with a very unique twist that catches you off guard well it wouldn't be very unique to praise somebody for doing something good What we really get, we're kind of stuck with as a church, is a man doing a bad thing and yet being praised. How do we we reconcile that? Let's look again at verse 8 in chapter 16. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly people who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. He's not praising him because he stole something or because of theft. He's praising him because he was clever. I mean, you have to recognize the manager has placed the owner in a very difficult spot because all the paperwork is official. This, this was, I mean, this was legal and so there's nothing he can do to get the money back. The only possibility that he could do would be to ruin all of his business relationships. And so the man, the owner realizes that the manager has placed him in a very difficult situation. It was a very crafty solution for the manager. Jesus doesn't praise him for theft either. Jesus is simply acknowledging that there seems to be more cleverness with people of this world in dealing with people, their peers, than often you see with people of light. We have to stop and look and examine. What, what, what do you see in this passage? One, he's talking about this generation. He's talking about the generation of people between the fall of man and the return of Christ. It's a theme that you see throughout scripture that there's this crooked generation. Look at what it says in Paul. I mean, in Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 2. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, innocent children of God surrounded by people who are crooked and corrupt. Among these people, you shine like stars in the world. He's drawing a contrast between a worldview And a godly view, between two different commitments. The fact that there are two different people. You have two people living in one generation. People of light and people of the world. Looking at things from two different perspectives. People of the world belong to this generation. People of the world belong to this mindset. They share a worldview and they fit together very well. But people of light don't or shouldn't people of light should be different they shine in darkness that's what the scripture says they stand apart they stand out people of light don't share in the affections of this world we we don't belong we belong to a different world right so you've got two different people both living in a fallen world so what do we do? Well, what this verse says is that the people of light when you compare them to people of the world that we that we kind of fail in comparison in one particular area shrewdness shrewdness Aristotle defines shrewdness as an excellence of the intelligence by which men are able to deliberate well about good and evils with a view to their own well-being. Jesus isn't commanding or commending this this man's theft. Jesus acknowledging that he was able to navigate life in a way that was to his advantage. He's able to read a situation. He was able to assess what was going on. He was able to kind of look and examine what was taking place and he was able to shift and adjust the guy in Jesus's parable he saw his situation very clearly and he adjusted in order to be able to to have a good outcome the disciples it says that they should become shrewd they should make friends like we see this gentleman doing Now, I don't think that he's saying that we should use ill-gotten gains. I don't think that he's trying to encourage us to be dishonest in any way. Luke, in his scripture, he doesn't use a word that is Greek. He actually uses an Aramaic word in this, and it's the word mammon. And if you were looking at this, it's the root word that we get amen from. Amen. To that which one trusts. Undoubtedly, the people of this world trust in possessions and money and things of this world. Jesus is suggesting that as people of light that we use the possessions, we use the money, we use the resources that we have as tools because that's what people of this world trust in, that we're able to use them We're to be shrewd with the use of our possessions. You see, the steward saw an expiration date on his situation, right? He knew that the time was short before the owner was going to come back in. He had to figure something out, and he used every tool at his disposal that would receive him into a new situation. And Jesus says that there is an expiration date on this age. The question is, are we being shrewd? Are we being shrewd with the possessions and the resources that we have? The currency of this age, we just don't like to... The currency of this age, and I'm not talking about the dollar figure, the dollar bill, although it is one of the currencies, the currencies of this age are going to cease. Y'all do know that, right? The currency of this age are worthless at some point in time. Just as the steward uses his limited position... I believe Jesus is trying to encourage the disciples and encouraging us to use those things that we have in order to, that he's entrusted us with in order to be shrewd, in order to make friends. In other words, to make disciples of Jesus. The reality is, those of us who follow Jesus, we have got to completely surrender everything to God. We sometimes think, okay, well, God wants, me to, God wants everything. Everything for us to surrender to Him. We have no rights to our property. We don't like to think that way, but we don't. We don't have any rights to our property because our property is not ours. Our property is God's. Everything we have is God's. The scripture says that the Lord created the earth and everything in it. Everything that we have is of God. All of our money, all of our possessions will fail at some point in time it's inevitable it's not a matter of if it's a matter of when and we as followers of Jesus need to realize that and so we have to use it be shrewd with it while we have it available to us money is ultimately worthless and so there's nothing more practical. There's no more practical advice than Jesus could give us than to be shrewd with it and so that we're able to make more disciples for Jesus Christ. That's what we see in this passage. We're able to use something temporarily to make something eternal. We're able to use the resources that we have and be shrewd with them in order to make disciples of Jesus Christ because more disciples of Jesus Christ are gonna make more disciples of Jesus Christ. I promise you, Big screen TV is not going to do anything for the kingdom of God. But we like our big screen TV. But the reality is God's saying, be shrewd. Be shrewd with everything that you have. And he lays out a very simple kingdom principle. Look at what it says in verse 10. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much. And the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. What's in view here is your character, my character, our character. I mean, if we're going if, if to be dishonest at a board game, let's be honest. If we're going to be dishonest at a board game, we're, we're, we're probably going to be dishonest in life. We're dishonest in little things. We're going to be dishonest in bigger things. For God, all of the things that seem important to us, Are not that important. Money, possessions, God owns everything. It says in the scriptures that He has the cattle on a thousand hills. He He owns the vastness of everything. That it, it, what's important to us is so insignificant to God. And so, whether He gives you a modest salary or He gives you excess and surplus. The question that we are to ask ourselves is, are we being shrewd? Are we using it for the glory of God? If you're faithful with something that's ultimately worthless, God will enrich you with something that is eternal. We have to make that decision. Are we going to be shrewd with what God gives us? You cannot serve both God and money. You can't serve possession and God. Ultimately, you will serve one or the other. Ultimately, you will put your trust and your security in one or the other. And you have to ask yourself and challenge yourself, where do I put my trust? Is all of your trust put into the things that you have, the things that you own, or is your trust put into Jesus Christ? Are you being... Shrewd with what God gives you. What are we going to do with our possessions? As we've been working through this this series, as I've been working on the message, I stop and think. You know, there are times where we are called to just give, open-handed, and put our hands and just trust God. I, I have pulled up to an intersection and felt like I should give somebody money and and people in the car may go you don't know what they're going to do with it I don't I just give open-handed and trust God and then there's times where I have to make things stretch there's things where I have a little bit and I've got to try to stretch and I've got to i got to try to to make things last a little bit longer. And that's, that's, that's being wise with the things that I have as well. But nowhere in Scripture do I see where it is that we are supposed to be miserly in order to be good stewards. We have a mindset often of scarcity versus a mindset of abundance. God is a God of abundance. Aristotle also described... Friendship this way, to a noble man there applies the true saying that he does all things for the sake of his friends. And if need be, he gives his life for them. Now I realize you may think Aristotle's not very authoritative, but let me read to you the book of John or 1 John. John says it this way, 1 John 3, This is how we know love. Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. But if someone has material possessions... And sees a brother or sister in need but refuses to help. Listen to this. How can the love of God dwell in a person like that? Little children. We've talked about that in the book of John before. Little children means all of us. Little children means all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. Little children, that's not love with words or speech. But with action and truth. There is an expiration date to the age that we live in. Will you be faithful to the things that are trivial to God? The possessions that we have. Will you be faithful with them in order to grow the kingdom of God? Will you be shrewd with your resources? Now, I say this to you because in the book, if you read, she talks about possessions. And she and her family do something that, again... Go for it. Uh, She and her family, they evaluate their possessions and they give away, listen to this, because the book's called Seven, right? So they give away seven things of value every day for 30 days. Now think about that. Y'all do the math. Seven times 30, 210 possessions they give to people that are of value. Now she talks in here, this is not talking about things that, you know, you've got the broken lamp that's sitting in your garage. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something that has value to you. Something that that means something to you. They give away 210 items. What I want to challenge you is to use this as as an an opportunity to really evaluate your shrewdness. So what I want to challenge you to do this week Because we only have one week to do it. So my challenge to you is, I want you to find something of value. And I want you to give it away as a way to grow the kingdom of God. This is probably the hardest challenge of any of them that we'll do. Simply because we don't often know how to be shrewd. As people of light, it's difficult for us to think, how can we do something that's going to help grow the kingdom of God? What we typically will do is we'll take an item that we has value but we want to get rid of, we take it to goodwill. Not, I'm not bashing goodwill. That's, that's, I, I use goodwill as well. But she makes a quote in her book that I really want to stress with you. Now She's quoting someone else, so this is a double quote. Uh, so listen to what she says. I have come to see that the great tragedy in the church is not that rich Christians do not care about the poor, but that rich Christians do not know the poor. I long for the Calcutta slums to meet the Chicago suburbs, for lepers to meet landowners, and for each to see God's image in the other. I truly believe that when the poor meet the rich, Riches will have no meaning. And listen to this. And when the rich meet the poor, we will see poverty come to an end. So I invite you this week to look for a way to give something away to someone. It's going to force you to have to not only examine the excess in your life, but maybe also to examine how do I even find someone? How do I even connect to a way to be able to give somebody something that helps grow the kingdom of God. But it opens us up to the Holy Spirit moving in us and beginning to realize what God is able to do. I started earlier. God's able to do miracles if we just open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's pray. Most gracious God, we thank you. Lord, we we thank you for all the resources that you give us. Lord, I thank you for all of the things that I have. But Lord, please help me to not trust and put my security in things. I pray, Lord, for each and every one of us that are here today. I pray, Lord, that we can spend some time this week looking at the things that we declare have value. And trying to think about how we can be shrewd, how we can utilize them while we have time, while we have the availability to be able to use them to make a friend, to to be able to, to share your grace and your love with someone else. Help us to be able to look at how we can grow your kingdom. Move in us and move through us.